And I've been asking you the question uh, this year, um, up to this point, is who's in charge around here? And, uh, you know, and we have choices in life, and we really have uh, to make decisions as to which part of us are we going to allow. And I've been sharing with you about, uh, you know, the Bible teaches that we are a spirit, man. It is the eternal part of you. You do realize you're going to live somewhere forever. The question is, is where, right? But that's not our flesh. It's not just what you see right now. That's not the real part of me. This is the Bible. The Apostle Paul said that this is like a tent. It's just a, it's like an article of clothing. It's no different than saying that this shirt is me. Well, no, it's not. I put this shirt on this morning. You know, I mean, that's just the truth. Well, the body is temporary. The Bible teaches this. And so the Bible also tells us, though, that we are a spirit, that we have a soul. We have a mind, a will, and an emotion. That's our thought life, our mind, our mental and emotional capabilities. But we have a spirit, man, and then we also have a flesh. And so the question becomes many times as to uh, who's in charge? Is it, are we just living day to day just based off of every whim and impulse that we have? Are we totally dominated by our thought life or even our emotion? Just, well, I feel this way this day. Well, how many of you realize your feelings will lie to you all the time? So will your flesh. I mean, it happens. And yet we have a, a part of us that is the most God-like part of us. And if we've accepted Jesus as our Savior, the Bible says that, that spirit man has come alive unto God. And so we've been looking at this over the last four weeks. And last week we uh, I continued because I've been uh, sharing with you the Bible teaches in Galatians 5.16. It says that if you'll walk in the spirit, in other words, in your spirit man, you will not fulfill the lust or the desires of the flesh. Right? Well, so many times, I know for me, I don't know about for you, but I try to have like behavior modification. I just try to be a better person, right? Or I just try to be like, well, I'm not going to get mad, or I'm not going to say this, or I'm not going to say... And I try to think, well, if I keep just making myself better, eventually I'll be who God wants me to be. Anybody else ever had that thought? Like, I'm just going to keep working on myself, and eventually I'll get there. And yet in Galatians, it tells us quite the opposite. It says, if you'll walk in the Spirit... The Spirit will take care of your flesh, Amen. not the reverse. Your flesh will never make you more spiritual, ever. It's just not, it, it, no way. And so we've been talking about this for these last number of weeks. And last week, I need to preface this morning because I felt like um, really last week's message and this week's message uh, aren't necessarily something I would typically teach on a Sunday morning. And uh, these are actually lessons that I teach in, our, in a Bible school down in Shreveport uh, that I just finished teaching in for the last three months. And, but I felt very directed by the Lord uh, that I needed to teach portions of these. And so last week I specifically talked to you and shared with you. And if you weren't here, I would encourage you um, because what I'm talking about is probably the most divisive topic in church world. Um, you know, I mean, whole churches and denominations are marked or identified by this one piece of... Um, Really, scripture. But here's what I, and so, and really what I'm talking about is being spirit filled. In other words, praying in other tongues. And people are like, oh, that's weird. No, it doesn't make you weird. If you were weird, because, you know, I'll say it this way if you're, you ever met somebody who was weird and they're like, oh, I'm spirit filled, they were weird before the Holy Spirit. It's not the Holy Spirit's fault, okay? The Holy Spirit doesn't make you weird. Some people just like being weird, and there's nothing you can do about that. But the Bible is very clear, and so this is just my personal approach to the Bible, and I just believe it's the best one. That's why it's my personal approach to the Bible. I don't believe anybody's opinion above what the Word of God says. God's Word is the authority, not mine opinion, not anybody else's. I don't care. 
They're like, oh, we've had this teaching for hundreds of years. Well, the Bible is thousands of years old. And God is eternal. I think I'm going to stick with him. And so sometimes when it comes to areas of Scripture, we get kind of off kilter a bit because it's like, well, that's not the way I was raised. Well, there were things that I was raised in too that I've had to unlearn and realize that really wasn't that good. And then there are some things that get taken from Scripture and they get taken too far. Right? Just... Well, you know, just because something is taken too far doesn't mean that it's just bad. I mean, we just received an offering. Well, there's a lot of people who do that in a wrong way, and they take it way too far beyond what Scripture will support. Well, that doesn't mean that the principles are bad. And so, you know, last week what I shared with you was really about um, being filled with the Holy Spirit. And, uh, you know, I don't want to take time just because... I have a whole other message to preach this morning. I already, so, but I say that because if you weren't here last week and you're like, man, I don't really either. I've never heard about the baptism of the Holy Spirit or I don't know if it's even scripturally right. Get on our website. Listen to the message from last week. It will help you because this is kind of part two of that particular message. Because this morning uh, I want to share with you specifically along the lines of what I believe is actually transpiring as we pray in the Spirit. You're like, well, you know, and I realize not everybody has any idea what I just said. Praying in the Spirit, the Bible, very simply is this. It is a personal prayer language between you and God. It is not English. There's nothing wrong with praying in English. Paul says it this way. I'll pray in the Spirit. I'll pray in other tongues. But I also for both in English or in your language, if you will. He says, I do both. And there's a place for both. But there are times specifically that you need to pray in the Holy Spirit. It is scriptural. People may not like that. I don't care people's opinion, quite honestly. And I don't mean that rudely or disrespectfully. But the Bible is the authority, not, not anybody. And, and the Bible about says, you know, I, I like the way I heard somebody say it, is that, you know, people will say, well, there's over 60 authors of the Bible. No, there was 60 writers. There was one author. The author was God. And he used men to write it. And I like that. You know, and so this morning I want to look at a few things with you about, and so you're going to stick with me because this is going to get kind of technical, which is why I say I wouldn't normally teach this way. Uh, Because, you know, there's a lot more to the Bible than we realize many times. We can read it on the surface and be like, oh, that's a good story. That's awesome. But when we actually dig a little bit deeper, uh, we actually get some more understanding and actually finding out. I mean, has anybody ever wondered what's going on when you pray in the Spirit besides me? Anybody? I mean, I wonder these things. I'm a curious person. I want to know how things work. I don't care that, you know, my bike worked. I wanted to take it apart into a thousand pieces and figure out how it worked. That's just the way my brain works. And then I couldn't put it back together. So I got put in a box and we ended up throwing it away. And, uh, you know, that actually happened. And, uh, but let me just, before we kind of get started, I want to show you this through Scripture. Uh, a, a few things before I really get into the meat uh, of what I want to share. But in Matthew chapter 3, this is the account. I'm going to give you several passages here where Jesus was uh, water baptized by the, uh, John the Baptist. And so here in uh, Matthew chapter 3, I'm just going to read one verse. It's actually verse 16. And he says, after his baptism, so after Jesus is baptized by John, says Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit descending like a dove. The Holy Spirit's not a bird. He said, like. That's a key word there. You know, everybody always sees and they're like, oh, it's a dove. It's the Holy Spirit. No, he's a person. He's the third person of the Trinity. He is as much God as Jesus and as much God as God. And you're like, well, I don't understand all that. Well, neither do I, but that's what the Bible says, and I choose to believe it. So, he says, I saw the Spirit descending on him like a dove and settling upon him. 
It says, and a voice from heaven uh, said that this is my dearly beloved son in whom brings me great joy. Other translations, which we would be more familiar with, say it this way. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. So in this moment, because you have to understand what's happening in this moment, John was a forerunner to Christ, to the Messiah. Now, he didn't even know that Jesus was was the Messiah until he saw because the Spirit had told him. And I'll show you this here in just a moment. That that. Because what happened in the Old Testament, you have where the Holy Spirit would come on people, but he would leave just as quickly. Well, things changed in this moment. The Holy Spirit no longer just came on to people for a moment. He actually, once Jesus had secured salvation, now the Holy Spirit lives within us constantly. The Bible says it this way. He abides with us forever. He doesn't come and go. He's a permanent resident. Over in John chapter 1, it's the same account, but another gospel. It says... um, This encounter took place in Bethany, an area east of the Jordan River where John was baptized. It says, The next day John saw Jesus coming towards him and says, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He is the one I was talking about when I said, A man is coming after me who is far greater than me, for he existed long before me. Now, John and Jesus were cousins, by the way, if you don't know this. They were roughly eight to nine, ten months apart in age. And yet John makes a statement that says, He existed long before me. Well, in the natural, that's just not possible. And yet, why? But John had a a different understanding here. He says in verse 32, he says, I did not recognize him as the Messiah, but I have been baptizing with water so that he might um, be revealed to Israel. And then verse 32 says, Then John testified, I saw the Holy Spirit descending like a dove from heaven and resting upon him, or remaining upon him. He says, I didn't know he was the one, but when God sent me to baptize with water, he told me the one to whom you see the Spirit descend and rest or to stay upon is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. He says, I saw this with Jesus, so I testify that he is the chosen of God. And so we see this here that John the Baptist, which his baptism was one of repentance. In other words, repent of your sins, recognize that you fall short of God's standard for your life. Well, it was a People just asking for forgiveness. That was John's baptism. And yet here he says that Jesus would have another baptism, but it would be with the Holy Spirit, not with water, but with the very Spirit of God. And so just for so that we're all kind of on the same page. And so, you know, this is just good basic Bible doctrine stuff here. But in the New Testament, we see three distinct types of baptism. Three, not just one. Most people say, water baptism, I know it. Well, you know, salvation is actually called the baptism of salvation. Let me say it this way. You can't get saved without the help of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because we would never turn to God without the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And so you could say it this way, is that that the Holy Spirit baptizes us into the body of Christ, right? So that's one baptism. The second baptism, which that first baptism should be, there you go. It's all up there on the screen. There's going to be some scriptures for you, and I'm not going to read them all because we're... We'll be here forever. But they're going to be up there, so you can jot them down if you want. Comes out of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13. The second one is water baptism. Comes out of Ephesians uh, 2, verses 5 and 6. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that one, because anybody not know what water baptism is? It's an identification with Christ. It's I'm representing and recognizing. It's an outward display of what has happened in my heart. I identify with his life, his death, and his resurrection. Because he lives, I can live. That's... Water baptism in a nutshell. The third one is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And this one is done by Jesus himself. So the first one the Holy Spirit does. The second one another believer does. A fellow believer does. And then in the third one here, it's actually that Jesus himself does this. In Luke chapter 3 verse 16, um, John answers their question because they're wanting to know, John, are you the Messiah? 
And he says, no, I'm not. And he says, but I baptize you with water, but someone is coming soon who is greater than I, so much greater that I'm not even worthy to be his slave and to untie the straps of his sandal. And he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And so it's an interesting dynamic because we're getting more of a full picture because Jesus says, I'm sorry, John here says that the Holy, that Jesus is coming and he will baptize you in the Holy Spirit. Now, I talked about this last week, but I'll mention it just briefly. Is that you're like, well, I thought I got the Holy Spirit when I got saved. You did in a measure. But the Bible, and I would encourage you, if you weren't here, go back and listen to it. Because I don't have time to, to reteach it. There's a second encounter with God on the other side of salvation that God desires for all people. Now, let me say it this, let me just clarify this. This is not an issue of pride, like I'm somehow a better person or a better Christian or somehow God likes me more because I'm spirit-filled. No, because it's a free gift that's available to everybody, first of all. And I heard somebody say it like this, and I really like this uh, statement. They're like, being filled with the Holy Spirit doesn't make me a better person than anybody else. It just makes me a better me. And I like that. I need the help and the work of the Holy Spirit in my life, specifically in the area of praying in other tongues. Why? Because there are times I don't know what to pray. Romans 8 talks about this. He says there's times that you face things and you don't know how you should pray. You don't even know. I mean, you've been stuck in a situation going, I don't know which way to go. I don't know what to do. <clears throat> you can begin to pray in the Holy Spirit. Why? Because the Bible says that you're praying forth the divine plans, purposes, and will of God. It's a perfect prayer. Amen. It bypasses my mind and it's straight my spirit connecting with the heart of God. And the same thing is available for you. And so, you know, there's some things that happen. And yet here, he really gives us a picture. And he says that Jesus would baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Well, what's the with fire business about? Well, what does fire do? You know, I mean, it purges, it purifies, it cleans things out. It refines things. And so the Holy Spirit helps us, us to keep a heart that is soft and tender towards the Lord. Life has a way of causing us to become calloused. It just does. And yet the Holy Spirit helps us because to keep our hearts from being calloused or jaded or hardened. Hardened. Why? Because when our hearts become resistant to the work of God, His work is hindered in our life. Like His ability to work in us is, is really limited. And so, you know, we, so we see this and so that's kind of... A very brief overview of last week. And now we're going to move into what I have for you this week. Because I believe that if we properly understand Scripture, I believe it gives us wisdom and understanding because God doesn't have to be mysterious. You know, people make statements like, oh, well, you just never know what God's going to do. You just can't. Well, sure I do. The Bible says He revealed Himself in Christ Jesus. Is God good? Well, was Jesus good? Does God heal? Did Jesus heal? Does God provide? Did Jesus provide? The answer to all of those is yes. Did, did Jesus cast out devils? Yeah. Well, guess what? So does God. Amen. So does the power of God, even through us. And you're like, well, that's weird. No. I mean, Jesus is who God was, and yet we still have a third portion of the Trinity in us today. It's the Holy Spirit. And yet we can have limited access Man, I don't like things that are limited. I like, you know, it's kind of like when, uh, you know, I remember back when we first got the internet, they'd say, oh, you only get so much internet. I never liked that. You get a little message, you're like, you have exceeded your limit for this month. And it's like, Dad, I've got a week before they're going to reset it. When they came out with unlimited internet, it's like, I'm free. 
You know, I can watch anything I want or do anything I want. It was awesome. Why would I want limited access to God when he has given us the availability to have unlimited access? I like unlimited. And God likes to be unlimited. So why would I limit God? You're like, well, I don't believe that. You can limit God. Yes, Yes, you absolutely can. Jesus was in his own hometown, it says, and he could do no mighty works among them because they knew him and were familiar with him. And they said, thus they limited the Holy One of God. We absolutely can limit God. Why? Because God will not force anything on us. God's not going to randomly go heal people just because he felt like it. It requires faith. It requires trust in him. And so, you know, there's some things here this morning that I want to share with you about this because the Holy Spirit seemingly, and especially when we're talking about a prayer language, um, <clears throat> is a fairly can seem like a New Testament concept. And it is in a way, and much of it in reality is, but God also reveals it through the Old Testament. You know, Jesus was, you can actually find Christ, the Messiah, represented in every book of the Bible. They're called types and shadows. And so you see glimpses of him and you're like, oh, well, that's who, you know, I mean, Moses is a type of Christ. Why? Because he was a deliverer who delivered the children of Israel out of Egypt, which was a type of the world. And he delivered the children of God out of Egypt, a type of the world, into where? A promised land. Well, Christ came for what? To take us out of a world system and deliver us into a promised land that is what? The presence of God. So Moses was a type of Christ. Well, there's also types and shadows throughout Scripture of a lot of things. And so this morning, I want to look at a few things in this way. And so, you know, I I heard somebody say it this way one time, and and I just believe that it's so true, is that there are things that are concealed in the Old Testament. In other words, they're hidden. They're hidden away in the Old Testament, but they are revealed in the New Testament. So we get full picture or full understanding of what God was speaking of, but there are things that we can look to. And so, you know, even when we really understand how to approach the Bible properly, the Bible is a self-interpreting book. You're like, well, that seems convenient. Well, yeah, but God tells you what's going to happen before it actually ever happens. That's the difference. Anybody can come, you know, it's like the statement, hindsight is 20-20. Like, I could tell you with absolute confidence tomorrow morning who's going to win the Super Bowl tonight. I could tell you the score. Well, that, you wouldn't be impressed by that. You'd be like, well, of course. What if I told you right now? Hey, I'm going to tell you who's going to win, what the score's going to be. So-and-so's going to get injured at this minute of the third quarter, and you're going to be like, that's impressive. No, I can't tell you that. <laughs> but God says, I declare the beginning or the end of something before it ever begins. So even in the Old Testament, God really tells us and shows us what's going to happen. And so, you know, the Bible is a self-interpreting book. So in other words, this, it unlocks scriptures. You can get stuck in a, in a spot and say, well, what does that mean? You don't have to go outside of the Bible to find an answer. Why? Because God wrote it, not man. Men may have put pen to paper, but it was inspired by God. And so if you hit a sticking point, the answers are always in the word of God. Let me give you an example of another, because you're like, well, I don't know if I believe that. Okay, well, the name Jehovah Jehovah God, Jehovah Shalom, the Lord my peace. Uh, you know, uh, there's tons of them. He revealed himself as, in other words, God is peace. That's what Jehovah means. God is, right? That's what the name Jehovah actually defines. But one of the definitions of the name Jehovah is this, is the self-existent one who reveals himself. Think about Moses. He said, God, I want to see your face. And God says, Moses, you can't see my face, you die. He says, but I'll put you in the cleft of the rock, and as I pass by, 
I'll remove my hand and you can watch the backside of me walk away. Why? Because Moses asked to see the Lord. So he revealed himself to Moses. God is a God who reveals himself. He's not hiding from us. He wants to be revealed. And so there are keys that unlock all biblical truth. And sometimes we just got to be willing to dig a little bit. You know, I mean, I know it's convenient to come to church and let me do all your Bible study for you. uh, But that's not God's intention. Why? Because you may get head knowledge from listening to me. But for it to become real life and revelation to you, you're going to have to apply yourself to it and study it a little bit. Like, I thought that was your job. No, my job is to make you hungry for more. I'm supposed to give you just enough that you're like, dang, that was good, but there's got to be some. Left a cliffhanger out there. You ever watched a movie and like at the end of the movie, you're like, there's going to be a part two. Like that one just ended. They got him. That's my job. I want to make you just that much more hungry to say there's more to the Bible than I realize. And so, you know, and I believe that this is true. And so I want to show you an example of this in Scripture, specifically in the area of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Now, you have to understand, I said this a minute ago, the Holy, God did not send the Holy Spirit so that we could be weird. God sent the Holy Spirit so that we could be like Christ and that we could be Christ to people around us. Well, we can't be Christ without the help of the Holy Spirit. Why? Jesus never did a miracle. Jesus never impacted a person until after he was baptized with the Holy Spirit. 30 years of his life, never did anything spectacular. He got filled with the Holy Spirit and everything changed. And so here, um, I'm going to read you two verses. But the first one comes out of John chapter 4, verses 13 and 14. Jesus stands up and makes a statement. He's actually at the, he's at the well. There's a passage of Scripture called the woman at the well. But he makes a statement because they're having a, a theological debate. And Jesus is like, look, I don't care about your theology. I don't know if you realize that. God's not as concerned about your theology as many people are. Yeah. Why? The, theology is the study of God. Well, you can study God and not know him. God wants you to know him. And that's really kind of the debate because this woman's like, well, hey, we say we should do this and y'all say we should do this. And Jesus is like, look, it don't matter. None of that matters. He makes a statement to her though but because they're talking about a well and he asks her for something to drink. And he tells her, he says, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again, but those who drink the water that I will give will never be thirsty again. It will become a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. We don't have to wait till we get to heaven to experience the God life today. Why? Because we have Christ through the ministry of the Holy Spirit living in us. And just what he says here is that we have a fresh bubbling spring within them that gives us eternal life. That doesn't mean that I'm not part of this life. I still got bills. I still like to eat regular food. I'm a normal person. I like to watch football. Like, just because it doesn't make me different. I'm still a human. I'm not a robot. Lasting you know, but Jesus makes a statement here and says, look, that we can receive everlasting life right now. He also makes a statement over in John chapter 7. He stands up at the climax of a festival and he says, uh, anyone who is thirsty may come to me and anyone who believes in me may come and drink. For the scriptures declare that rivers of living water will flow from within his heart. Rivers of living water will flow from within his heart. Verse 39, he says, uh, when he said living water, he was speaking of the Holy Spirit who would be given to everyone believing in him. But the Spirit had not yet been given because Jesus had not yet entered into his glory. In other words, Jesus had to go on the cross, die the death of the cross, and be resurrected. The Bible says that he is seated in the right hand of the Father right now. So, when Jesus makes a statement, he's still on the earth. The Holy Spirit has not been fully 
released into the earth the way God wanted. The moment that Jesus accomplished everything that needed to be done for salvation and for us, he went and sat down. Why? Because it was finished. His job was done. But that in that moment, that unleashed the Holy Spirit to come into the earth in full capacity. And it, really, it came into full capacity for our ability to cooperate with him. His presence didn't really change. It just changed the because like I said earlier, he no longer just comes upon us for a moment. He came to, what, abide, to stay Amen. with us. And so, but here he makes a statement. And he says, and he's, now again, this is speaking of the Holy Spirit. He says, anyone who believes in me may come and drink. For the scriptures declare that rivers of living water will flow from his heart. That's your spirit, man. Remember I told you in the beginning, we are spirit. We have a soul. We live in a body. If you're going to be transformed into the image of Christ, it's going to come through your spirit, man. And yet here he talks about and makes this statement that there are rivers of living water. Rivers, 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 plural. Of living water that what? That will flow from within our spirit, man, through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Well, that seems like a vague scripture. Like, what does that mean? What do you mean a river of living water? Well, this is talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I mean, it says this right there in verse 39. He says it's speaking of the Holy Spirit who had yet to come because Christ, Christ had not yet entered into his glory. And so, let me give you... Now, this is where it's going to start getting a little more technical. Okay? Because I'm going to start giving you lots of definitions. Because that's just the way it works. If you really want to understand something, you've got to dig a little bit. But these words here... Where it talks about rivers. When you go and study this out, this is what that word means. It says uh, that it's to receive into the soul what serves to refresh, to strengthen, and to nourish unto eternal life. To receive into the soul. Remember, you are a spirit. You have a soul. From our spirit man, from our connection with the Holy Spirit, we can receive from him that which serves to refresh our souls. You ever just felt emotionally, mentally drained? That's what it's talking about in very real terms. Rivers of living water that come, that what? That nourish us unto eternal life. That word living there, because it says rivers of living water. That word living means to be in full vigor, to be fresh, to be strong, to be efficient, to be active and powerful. Rivers of living. It's not dead water. There's life in what? The ministry of the Holy Spirit to us. And so it says rivers of living water. The word living water there, when you combine them, it actually means this. And I love this definition. It says, having vital power in itself and exerting the same upon the soul. In other words, God doesn't need our assistance. He's got us. The Holy Spirit will help us to do everything that God has for us in His strength, not in ours. But we have to surrender or submit to allow those, that life to come about. And so we see this here, but... Again, this is just because, again, I'm a curious person. I like to take things apart, dissect them. You know, like, I'm not a science dude, but I did love dissecting some stuff. Like, let me open it up and look at it. Let me see what's going on in this frog. You know, it's kind of gross, but, you know, it's kind of cool too. And, uh, you know, but because I'm a curious, analytical person, here's my thought. All right, if there's more than one river, how many rivers are there? Again, that's just the way my mind works. You know, I'm like, well, you know, if there's, is that two? Is that eight? Is it 50? Can we know? You know, and and so there's an element here that's kind of a curious thing. Now, I promise you, I'm getting somewhere. Because you're like, this seems like a bunch of randomness. Just stick with me. 
Because there is a rule in the Bible. It's called the rule of first mention. Now, what that means is that when God originally speaks about something, He identifies it and establishes it, its purpose. And so, any like this, where we're in John chapter 7, there's rivers. You know, there's only one other place in Scripture that actually talks about multiple rivers at one time. It's four rivers. And it comes out of Genesis chapter 2, the book of beginnings. It actually goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. And says there were four rivers that flowed from the Garden of Eden. And yet, and now I'm just going to preface this by saying this. This is what I believe, and and we're going to look at this in depth here in the next few moments together. This is what I believe when we understand those four rivers. I believe that's what's actually happening as we pray in the Spirit. Because names have significance to God. And I'm going to show you them here in just a moment. Why? Because all of a sudden, because if you're like me, I mean, I'll just be honest. I've had times where I'm praying. I'm like, am I praying to the roof? I mean, I hope that there's somebody lives. I hope that the, but it's, you know, just the act of prayer is an act of faith. I mean, it just is. Well, there's been times that I've prayed in the spirit and had the thought, man, is this accomplishing anything? Well, first off, that's a, a tactic of the enemy to discourage me and get me to stop. Why? Because he's in trouble when I start praying in the spirit. Why? I may not know what I'm saying, but he definitely don't. He's in trouble. And so, you know, over here in Genesis chapter 2, I'll read you these verses. But, and again, this is all the way back. This is actually predates the fall of man. God says, I will establish something way before it ever happens. This is approximately 4,000 years before Christ made the statement, by the way. So to kind of give you an idea of time span here. Starting in verse 10. We read, and it says that a river flowed from the land of Eden, watering the garden and dividing into four branches. So think about this. A river, one river, flowed, and it broke into four tributaries. So think about this. One river splits into four. So you could say it this way. Is that all of this happens through one part of the Godhead, the Holy Spirit. God is not schizophrenic. He doesn't have different personalities. He is God, but he represents himself in three distinct persons. We call it the Trinity. And yet here it says that a river flowed out of the land of Eden. Well, what was Eden? It was God's perfect uh, environment. And every, there was no sin. There was no fall. There was no, I mean, it was perfection. The Bible says that creation was the crown of God's complete rule and reign over the universe. And yet, here it says that these branches flowed from one river breaking into four different branches. It says the first uh, branch is called the Pison, which flowed around the entire land of Havilah, uh, where gold is found. The gold of the land is exceptionally pure. And, uh, autom- or, and aromatic resin and onyx stones are found there. The second pr- uh, branch is called the Gihon, which flowed around the entire land of Cush. The third branch, uh, called the Tigris, flowed east to the land of Asher. And the fourth branch is called the Euphrates. Now, we know two of these rivers today because we still have the Euphrates and we still have the Tigris. I mean, you can go look on a map today. The Pison and the Gihon, we don't really, they've been renamed or we don't know what they exactly are. And you're like, well, does that mean if we go to the headwater, I've never, the Euphrates River, we're going to find the Garden of Eden? Go find out and come back and tell me. I've never done it. I don't know. I can't tell you. (laughs) 
But again, so we're talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, right? And here we see where there are four distinct rivers, two of which are still named that to this day. And yet when we begin to look into those names, because I realize on the surface, you're like, well, he's just talking about some rivers. Mississippi River, Red River, you know, whatever. But yet they have significance when we look into them. And we begin to study it out a little bit. So I'm going to actually tell you what each four of these, three of them I can tell you with absolute certainty what they mean because you can define them. The only one that's not perfectly clear is the Euphrates, but I'll tell you what I believe it is. And I believe that this is what happens as we begin to pray in the Spirit. So the first one is the Pison. That uh, when you study it out and really by definition, it means to increase, to grow up fat or to enlarge. To grow, to increase. As we pray in the Spirit, what's happening? God is bringing about increase. Now, I don't mean just in a financial sense. I don't, believe it, I don't believe it has anything to do with that, actually. I think it has to do with increase in our spirit life, our soulless realm. There's wisdom and understanding that's getting unlocked because we're what? Sowing to the Spirit. And the Bible's pretty clear. When you sow to the Spirit, you will reap life of the Spirit. So as I invest my time... Praying in the Holy Spirit, what am I doing? I'm enriching and increasing my spirit man's ability and understanding. So in the New Testament, we would, we would use this word. It's to edify. That's a more modern, is, it's to encourage. You're feeling down. Just life's pressures are pushing on you. You know, you can begin to pray in the Spirit and what? Your spirit man enlarges. All of a sudden, your cares aren't such a big focus. Why? Because you've now fed your spirit man, and your spirit man will now, what? Feed you with eternal life. Now, I know that's some weird language, but, but at the same time, that's what's happening. And so, uh, I love the vines. I like this definition. It comes from the vines uh, dictionary. He says, spiritual growth and development of character of believers... Is by, and it's really specifically about this word, it's by teaching or by example suggesting that such spiritual progress is as a result of patient labor. Patient labor. See, edification is more than just encouragement. It's a building up. I mean, you know, you ever had just had a bad day and somebody comes and says, you know, compliments you, makes you feel better? Well, they just edified you. But you can go five minutes away and their compliment has kind of lost its value and now you're kind of like, hmm. Edification is different. It's a building up. And it's actually, uh, you know, it's more than encouragement. It actually is an activity which results in our more being Christ-like. And that is God's end goal for every one of us. Yes, He has a plan. Yes, He has a purpose. But His number one goal is that we be like Christ. That we be transformed into the image of who He is. And so we do this partly. And so uh, two verses... That would go along with this. One comes out of Jude, verse 20. He says, Beloved dear friends, you must build each other up by, on your most holy faith, faith. Pray in the power of the Holy Spirit. Pray in the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 14, 4 says this. The Apostle Paul. He says, A person who speaks in tongues is strengthened personally. When you're praying in the Spirit, you're strengthened personally. Personally, but he says one who speaks a word of prophecy uh, strengthens the entire church. Now, he's given instructions specifically about a church service. But what I want you to catch is the first part there because he talks about speaking in tongues. Well, it's strengthened personally. I mean, I pray in the Spirit anytime I want. I've never had the Holy Spirit just come and jump on me like, oh, no, I'm, 
It's amazing. I can control it right now, can I? Oh, my goodness. You mean God's not just going to make me do it and embarrass me? No, he's not. Ever. Ever. That's not God. I, I can control when I do and when I don't. And really what it is is I have to surrender or submit to God that allows my spirit man to do it. But it's based off of what I... So, but there may be times where, man, I need some encouragement. Look, we all face things. We all face things that are bigger than us and our ability to fix them. That's why we need God. But we need God to the person of the Holy Spirit to help edify and strengthen us. So the Gihon River, that's the second one. Its definition means this. It's a bursting forth. In other words, it's like power like... It means to labor to bring something forward. It's something that is hidden from view that you may have to work or look around or look around to bring it out. Now, I didn't make this stuff up. You can go get you a strong concordance and verify everything I'm telling you right now. That's, I mean, it's not even hard to find. And you can dig deeper, but, I mean, just the strongs will confirm everything I'm telling you. So this would be revelation. Now, let me give you a natural example of this. My wife is almost eight months pregnant right now. I have a little girl. I don't know what she really looks like yet. I've seen some really weird alien-looking 3D imaging of her. And I hope she doesn't look like that. Right? But what? And the Bible says that right now she's being knit together by the hand of God. Okay, well, I haven't seen her. But there will come a moment where she will come forth. It's not a walk in the park, right? There's what? There's labor that has to happen. But something that has been hidden will be revealed in a moment. Right? Something that has been being crafted by God for nine, nine and a half months will suddenly be revealed. Well, the same thing happens with Scripture. It's revelation. It's that light bulb moment like, oh, that's what that's about. Look, I've shared stories about how God has given me wisdom about things that have no spiritual value whatsoever. Absolutely none. But they bother me. I'll give you a quick example. When I was a youth pastor, I had a light board. And it drove me crazy. Because I, it, the lights would flicker. And I don't like that stuff. I, I want stuff to work. It's like my pet peeve. I just I can't take it. It drives me crazy. And these lights would do this thing. I was driving down the road minding my own business. Going home. We lived in Kansas at the time. Driving down the road. And all of a sudden, just something in my heart. I had this thought that says, if you change this, it'll fix it. Here was my thought. That's too easy. That's not going to work. It. Guess what I did first thing the next morning? Let me go see if this is going to work. And guess what? It did. You're like, oh, well, that was just you thinking. I had been thinking for probably six, eight months, nine months. Something that drove me crazy three times a week. That fast. Boom. There's your answer. I'm like, thank you, Lord. There have been times in, in my life, my natural life, where I'm facing circumstances and situations that I don't have an answer to. And I need help. I'll pray. Lord, you said if anybody lacked wisdom, let him ask. And you'd give me wisdom. I need some wisdom because I don't know what to do. So I'll start praying in the Holy Spirit. All of a sudden, that, that, what? that revelation, that knowledge that I need comes out of, to my spirit, man. Not to my mind, 
And it's not like God speaks audibly. It's many times more of an impression in my heart. But I've learned to recognize that. I learned because I failed. Failure is a great teacher many times. Because it cost me. Because I, I had, oh, I just had a little something in me that just, I just knew I shouldn't do that. And I didn't pay attention to it. And I'm like, Dad, gummit, why did I listen to that? So I learned the Lord was trying to help me. But I refused to listen. So in a New Testament uh, verbiage, if you will, this would be revelation. Revelation knowledge, understanding. So it's an opening of our eyes to things that we've not seen before even in the plans that God has for us moving forward. I mean, you know, I mean, there are things that that the Lord will stir in you in this way. One verse, I'm not going to read it for the sake of time, but it's in John chapter 16, verse 12 and 13. But um, Jeremiah 33, 3, I want to read to you. He says, Thus says the Lord who made uh, the earth and the Lord who formed it and established it, Uh, The Lord is his name. He says, call to me and I will answer you and I will tell you and even show you great and mighty things, things that have been confined or hidden, which you do not know or understand and cannot distinguish. God is not hiding anything from us. He is hiding stuff for us. That's the truth. So we can understand from Scripture. So even as we're praying in the Spirit, what's happening? We are opening up our spirit man. We are building our spirit man up so that revelation, the will and the wisdom of God can come forth in our life. So this is one of the aspects. The next one is the Tigris. Now, we know this river, and I'll give you a a more local. How many of you have been whitewater rafting ever? Anybody? It's a lot of fun. Apparently, to me and like two people. But No, the Tigris is this. It was a shallow river that was very rocky. And that's still the truth of it today. But what does that create? Rapids. Think of the Colorado River. I mean, I went and whitewater rafted through the Royal Gorge, a thousand foot walls of rock on either side. Well, it's really skinny, but it's shallow, but it makes turbulence. You know, you jump over rocks and it's very turbulent, but you also get the reality of the power of water. I mean, I, you know, I grew up in Shreveport and I grew up on the rivers. I'd go ski and it looks like the water is not even moving until you fall down into it. And then you realize this thing's got some current. And especially if you get caught by a little rift current underneath, it'll suck you down and you'll pop up hundreds of yards down. You're like, how did I get down here? I mean, people die that way sometimes because they don't come back up. So why? But that's a deep, wide river. So the current looks like it's barely moving. But yet there's a lot of force. But in, in a river like the Tigris or the Colorado, you see the power of it. I mean, because why? Water's just like... You know, it's flashing everywhere, and it's, you feel the turbulence. Well, you feel the power of that. Well, the tigers, and so even the definition of that is the word power. It's vehement or rapid or active, that it's marked by energy. We've looked at this verse a few times, but in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, it says that you will receive power, dunamis. It's the, where we get our word dynamite from. When what? When the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You don't necessarily get the full power of God when you get saved to live righteously. I said this last week is that Jesus came so that we would be righteous. The Holy Spirit has come so that we can live righteous. So we need the power to live righteously. When I've really got serious about surrendering my life to the Lord, this is what I knew. I cannot do this by myself. Because I've tried and failed. I get saved and do it for like a week. I'm like, nah, that's a bad idea. Now, this is what I would tell you. I was never really saved. 
I just thought I was. Because to get saved means you actually got to surrender. There's a big difference. I'm not throwing up a Hail Mary pass to God just saying, hey, be kind to me when I get there. But that's where a lot of our culture lives. They live in that place. Not realizing that the very power that would make them godly, that they refuse to submit to. Yet when I pray in the Holy Spirit, the power of God becomes active in my life, giving me the strength and the ability to what? To live the way that Christ wants me to. Not in my own strength. It's through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. The power of God comes to fullness in me. Doesn't mean that I won't make mistakes. I'm just as human as I've ever been. And so are you. But the difference is, is who's in charge? Am I going to put my spirit man in the driver's seat of my life? Or am I going to let my mind, my will, my emotions, and my flesh dictate to me what I'm going to do and when I'm going to do it and how I'm going to do it? No, I'm going to submit my spirit man. Why? Because revelation comes, because power comes. The ability of God, the life of God, builds me up into somebody better than I can be in and of myself. I mean, Jesus made this statement to his disciples. He says, you know, I'm getting ready to leave. He goes, you won't see me anymore. He says, but I will not leave you like an orphan. I'm not going to do it. The word orphan actually means to be helpless and hopeless with no reason for expectation for any good. That's what the word orphan actually means. And Jesus says, I will not leave you helpless and hopeless without an expectation of somebody to help you. He says, the Holy Spirit will come to be your aid, your advocate, the one who will come alongside of you. He will not do for me, but he will help me do what I need to do. So the power to live the way that God wants for us. Another one, another verse is Acts 10, 38. Now the last uh, river is this, it's the river Euphrates. It's the only one that we actually don't, can't really find a, a, a specific um, description of. But we do have other scriptures that talk about the, the Euphrates River. Now, I personally believe this. I mean, like I said, I can't just turn you to scripture and verse and say this is exactly what it is, but I will show you a few of why I believe that this is what the Euphrates River is. And I believe that it's uh, intercession and prayer. Intercession and prayer. Wow. Now, prayer and intercession is necessarily the same things. Because you can pray and it not be intercession. But intercession, it's, it's a, I'll say it this way, it's an upgraded version of just casual prayer. That's a pretty mild way to say it. But I believe, but what, so what happens when we pray? When we pray and we ask God to work on our behalf, it restrains the work of the devil. It restrains the work of darkness. When we're praying in the Spirit, the Bible tells us, we looked at this, I don't know what it was, in the summertime of last year. Is that we looked for eight weeks at what? The armor of God. Right? And he says, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We're not fighting people here. That guy that's a jerk at work that you just want to punch, you're not actually fighting with him. Sorry if that offends you, but that's the way I talk. So, you know. Somebody just doesn't like you. You're like, I don't know why they don't like me. Have you ever considered that it's maybe not you and it's maybe not them? Maybe it's the devil trying to work an angle into your life to get you to respond in a way that will cause you to forfeit what God has for you. Yet when I pray in the Spirit, what? It's not going to give me the ability to just... What? It it might actually change that person. Because I don't know how to pray for that person. I mean, I don't know if you've ever been there, but I've been there where I'm like, I just don't want to pray for them. Nope, not going to do it. Lord, you got to change my heart because I ain't praying for them. 
I'll pray for their stupidity because they're, I can, yeah, I can pray about that in a while. God, they're dumb in this way and this way and this way. Like, like I'm in. No, I, it, prayer will help me to fight properly. I'm not wrestling against people, but there are evil forces at work. Well, don't be ignorant. I mean, the Bible tells us in multiple places, hey, pay attention. Look around. You got an enemy. Don't be foolish and say he ain't here. Sure he is. So here's one verse about this specifically, but this comes out of Revelation 9, verse 14 and 15, about the Euphrates River. Now, you have to understand, I mean, the book of Revelations is a prophetic book. It's talking about the last days. It's got a lot of... um, I'll just say it the way. John did the best he could with the information he had of the days. Like, how would you describe a plane if you had never seen one? Right? I mean, you know, planes have only been around for the last hundred and whatever years. 110 years. Isn't that right? 1907, I think. I don't know. That may be wrong. But we just take it for granted. Well, think about John 2,000 years ago trying to write about computers, cars, flight. I mean, you know. 200 years ago, it'd take you two months on a boat to get to Australia. You can get there in 12 hours, 14 hours. 14 hours from LAX to Sydney today. I mean, there's so much of what he's trying and attempting to communicate is the best he could do. But yet, he makes a statement here. And he says, a voice said to the sixth angel who held the trumpet, he says, release the four angels who are bound in the Euphrates River. He says, then these four angels who have been prepared for this hour and day and month and year were loosed or turned loose to kill one-third of the population of the earth. Now you're like, I didn't think angels did bad things. Those are, remember, a third of the angels fell from heaven with Satan. A third of them. And one translation says that there are four demons that are actually so evil that the Lord has confined them by the, under the Euphrates River. Now you're like, I don't understand that. Well, it's just the, it's just the Bible. I don't want to tell you. I don't have an answer for you. It's just what it says. But that river is doing what? It's withholding evil. It's, it's restraining them. And God says, until I say it's time, you ain't moving. See, that's the power of God. Well, I believe as we're praying in the Spirit, what are we doing? We are actually building a barrier against the enemy. Now, we're never going to completely do away with him. That's, what, that's Christ's job, which he will do upon his return. He will render ultimate victory over Satan. But right now, and you know, and, and I don't have time to get into it, but until, the, until believers are raptured, tribulation can't start. Why? Because we're the restraining force. Actually, we're not. The Holy Spirit is in us. But well, how's that going to happen? It's because we pray. As we pray, I believe this represents the Holy Spirit is able to hold back all demonic power when we pray in the Spirit. 1 Corinthians 14, 14, out of the Amplified says, If I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit by the Holy Spirit within me prays, but my mind is unproductive and it bears no fruit, but it, and it also helps no one. Helps no one. But yet when I pray, it's powerful. James 5, 16 says it this way. I quote this verse a lot, but it's because I like it. He says, confess your sins one to another. Pray for one another that you may be healed and restored. He says, the heartfelt, persistent prayer of a righteous man or woman can accomplish much when put into action and made effective by God. Our prayers in and of themselves aren't powerful until God touches them. Then they become dynamic. And so it becomes made effective by God. It's dynamic and can have tremendous power. 
Tremendous power. So when we're, when we're praying in the Spirit, I believe that, number one, it's increasing us. It's causing us to be mature in some things. But that maturity doesn't come until we get some revelation. Right? It's not just a byproduct that just happens. I have to walk in the wisdom and the revelation of the Word of God in my life, and therefore that brings about maturity in my life. Like godly maturity. I don't want to be like a baby. Spiritual baby. I don't want to be a spiritual infant. I want to be a full-grown spiritual man. That's my desire for you. Maturity. That's the goal. And yet, when, I, when we pray in the Spirit, this isn't something reserved for a select few special people. It's available to anybody who believes it. It's the exact same as salvation. It's not a special gift. It's available to all. But as we pray in the Spirit, we increase. Revelation comes. The power of God is at work in our life. And as we pray faithfully, it produces the ability to actually... I mean, what does the Bible say in James? Resist the devil. Right? And what? He will flee. One translation, I like this one, says he will run in stark terror. Why? It's not because I'm somebody special. It's because I have the name of Christ and the power of God to back me up. You have the same thing. But when I resist him through what? Through prayer. Through the speaking of God's word over my life. God, I thank you. I may be experiencing lack right now, but I thank you. You said that you would provide every need that I have according to your ability, not mine. That's one of those little confession cards I was talking about earlier. That's why it matters. Father, I thank you that I'm the healed of the Lord. I may have symptoms in my body, but Jesus took stripes upon his back so that I could be made whole and well. Well, I mean, those things, yes. But even as we're praying in the Spirit, what, that's adding to that resistance against the work of darkness. I'm not just a pawn in a game. Neither are you. I'm not just buying my time until I can make it to heaven and get out of this crazy world. No, God has an assignment, but he didn't leave us powerless. He gave us his ability and his Holy Spirit so that we could now live different than the rest of the world. Not that we're better, we're just different. Here's the difference between us and every sinner. One decision. That's it. You become righteous that fast. So be careful who you judge, because in a moment they could be just like you. So we have to be careful that we don't toot our own Christian horns. We have, why? That's not what we're saved for. Christ saved us because he has an assignment for us. He didn't leave us to ourselves. He gave us an incredible gift in the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Again, not to make you weird, to make you powerful. Big difference. See, real power, you don't have to display. You don't have to put it out there for everybody to see it. Why? Because you know who you are. That's why a relationship with God matters. Because a lot of times people pursue the power of God, but they just don't want Him. They want all the bells and whistles, but they don't want the correction that will come from a relationship with Him. And yet, when we walk in relationship with Him, we walk in the power of the Holy Spirit, we will live differently. We'll live way beyond anything that we can do in and of ourselves. I said this earlier. 
Being filled with the Holy Spirit doesn't make me a better person than anybody else. It makes me a better me. So why wouldn't I want the fullness of what God has for me? Why wouldn't I want the ability to be able to pray when I'm stuck and don't know what to pray and don't know how to pray? Don't know which direction to go. I can begin to pray in the Holy Spirit and He will help me. He'll pray forth the perfect will of God for my life. He'll do the same thing for you. I'm filled with the Spirit because I'm a believer in Jesus, not because I'm a pastor. It's available to everybody. And so what I want to do this morning, we're going to...